frustrations are not final. Mistakes are not fatal. And delays are not denials. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple. But only God can count the apples in a seed. My prayer for this ministry, Father, help us to care about people nobody else cares about. Help us to hear the cries of those nobody else is hearing. Who could say it was a bad day until all the days were added up? Hello, Cathedral. It's great to see everybody. Thanks so much for being here this weekend. God is good. And all the time. Well, it is anniversary month here at Cathedral of Faith, and it's hard to believe 54 years ago, 1965. That was a long time ago. In 1965, the number one television show was Bonanza. The number one movie out was The Sound of Music. The number one car in 1965 was the Impala. That's still a pretty cool car. The number one game in 1965 was Operation. Anybody remember that game? And the number one song was by the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No. You guys are as old as I am. Amen. Now, now the number one brother in 1965, he's... Well, you can see him right over here. That's my brother, Kurt. He was a year old. How about a big hand for my brother? He's awesome. And the radios in 1965 looked like this. The transistor radio. This was our boombox. This was our iPod. This was our Spotify, our surround sound. I mean, this was innovative. In 1965, uh, in the 40s, Bell Labs developed a transistor, and then Texas Instruments uh, put this transistor into a radio and brought it to the market, and it revolutionized the music industry, because then you could take music wherever you went. It was mobile. And these radios, if you had one, you'll remember, right, here was the volume you turn this little knob right here, and then this is how you tuned into the station. In fact, let's see. Let's just see if this thing still works. Let me see here. Touchdown Raiders! What do you know? Everybody's got to have a dream. Amen. This radio right here, it is the sermon today. Turning up the volume and tuning in the signal. In 1981, when we dedicated this building, that was the prayer of dedication. I remember it as if it was yesterday. And the prayer of dedication went like this. In fact, I invite you, read it out loud with me. 
And let's own that prayer today. Everyone say it. Help us care about people no one else is caring for. Help us hear the cry no one else is hearing. Help us see the hurt that no one else is noticing. Can we give God praise for the rich legacy language we have? People will ask me, why do we do what we do? Or how do you do what you do? This year we're on track through the leadership of Jim Gallagher to distribute more than $15 million worth of food to needy families here in our community. Let's give God praise, amen. And when they ask me, the thing that comes to mind is that prayer of dedication. God help us, turn up the volume, tune in the signal to hear the cries. And God's answered that prayer, be careful what you pray for. Because when you pray, God may answer it in a way that's much more than you could ever ask or imagine. And we've seen God do that again and again and again. Take, for example, our toy distribution. It's right around the corner. And it all started several years ago when two ladies in the church... Well, they turned up the volume and they tuned in the signal and they heard the cries that there were families in our community that were just barely getting by. And the kids didn't have anything to open on Christmas. Boy, and it moved them. It moved them in here and then it moved them out here to start our toy drive. That was 13 years ago. And over the last 13 years, we've been able to give out bags of toys to over 26,000 children. Can we give God praise for that? That is amazing. Now through the San Jose campus and the other campuses, this distribution goes on every holiday season. And we've had some great partnerships, everyone from the car show to the bike store around the corner to the Harley Davidson shop. We even had a group of Hell's Angels help us collect toys one year. We had a big toy collection that year. <laughs> Here at Cathedral of Faith, everybody's welcome, amen. And that toy drive is right around the corner when we're distributing those toys, and every time we do, for me, one of the highlights of the year for me is when we give that bag of toys to those kids, and I look into the eyes of those children, and I see those children, but with eyes of faith, I see more than that. There is a passage in scripture that every time I read it, it wrecks me. It's in Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus is talking about the end of the world, judgment day. There's a day coming where all humanity is going to stand before Jesus. Jesus, the one who loves us, will also be our judge. And he gives us a picture of that day, and he says... 
Humanity will be divided into two groups, one on his right and one on his left. He gives the group on his right, he calls them sheep, the group on his left. In this passage, they're called the goats. And the Bible says that he will say this, Jesus will say this to that group on his right. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Enter you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep, the people on the right, are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, will you say that with me? Then the king will say, one more time, then the king will say, Kanye West is right about this, Jesus is king. Can somebody say amen? (laughs) Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, That was me. You did it to me. When those words take hold of your heart, then you see why that dedication prayer matters so much. That somehow Jesus is present when we give Those gifts to the children we're giving to him. When we love those children, we're loving him. When we care for those children, we're caring for him. When you lock into that signal, you're really locking in to him. Lord, help us to hear the cries. Mother Teresa once said this about worship. She said, If you really want to love and worship God, pour out your love on the needy. That's why our prayer of dedication matters so much. Lord, help us to hear the cries. And God has been answering that prayer for 54 years. One more time. Let's give God praise for the legacy language we have here at Cathedral of Faith. Tuning in that signal. I was thinking about signal strength. How do you tune into that signal? How do you turn up the volume? Tune in and hear the cries. I mean, some signals, you know, they're hard to to miss. Some cries for help. I, I saw these pictures of these. Well, here's a dog that he needs some help. He says, don't ask, but yes, I could use some help. And then here's a cat that says, hello, anyone, help. And then here's another dog that says, help me, I'm stuck. 
Some situations are obvious. The, the cry for help, it's obvious. You can't miss it. Reminds me of the, the two blind men that were on the side of the road and Jesus is coming by and they start crying out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. And the crowd around them tells them to quiet down. Don't bother the master. But instead of quieting down, they raise their voices like they're at the football game. And they said, the Bible says they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy. Say that with me. Have Shout it out like those blind men. Have mercy. And then Jesus stopped. He heard the cry. He responded to the cry. And he heals the eyes of those blind men. The power of Jesus to meet people at their point of need. And some cries are like that. You can't miss them. You can't miss them. They're in your face. But what I've noticed in life that other cries, wow, it, it reminds me of a time when I, they say that everybody has 15 minutes of fame in their life. And I had my 15 minutes. It was more like 15 seconds of fame. But it happened when my wife and I, my wonderful wife and I, we were on vacation. We were so blessed to be in Hawaii. And we were sitting around the pool and we were relaxing. And I was in one of those chairs that lays all the way back. And I was in that chair and I had my baseball hat on and my sunglasses and I was relaxed I was so relaxed I was I all I was seeing was the back of my eyelids I was out and then my wife grabs my arm and shouts at me that guy in the pool is drowning and I jump up and jump into the pool with my hat and sunglasses swim over to the guy this guy is a big guy and I put my arms under his arms, pull him over to the side of the pool, and help him to get out of the pool. That right there was my 15 seconds of fame. That's as good as it gets for me. And wow, it was the family came over and said, thank you. I think they were from Japan. They said, thank you. Everybody around the pool wanted to buy me a drink. It was funny. And every time I tell the story, you know, next year I'll also tell the story because that's what grandpas do. We tell stories over and over again. And next time I tell the story, it will get even better because the older I get, the better I was. <laughs> so next time I tell you the story, I will have swam two miles to rescue this guy you know, in a raging sea, I fought off great white sharks. And then the mayor of the city, he gave me the key to the city, put my name on the Hawaii, or put my picture on the Hawaiian flag, and I've got an active imagination. But looking back, I thought about that. I mean, the pool was crowded. There were people everywhere. And here was a guy that was going underwater in a crowded pool. And the same kind of thing happens every week. 
every week. At work, at school, even at church. People can be in a crowded room and they're just drowning. That's why this prayer is so important. God, help us to hear those cries. One of my favorite books was written years ago by a guy named Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that book, he talks about an experience he had when he got onto a subway one morning, and he said the subway was very calm that morning. People were resting quietly. They were reading newspapers. And then a dad gets on the subway with some kids, and the whole atmosphere changes. The kids are noisy and rambunctious, and they're just creating havoc everywhere. And so finally, Covey leans over to the dad, and he says, could, could you control your kids just a little bit? They're disturbing everyone. And the dad snaps out of this daze he was in. And he says, yeah, I, I'm so sorry. So we just came from the hospital. And the kids just lost their mother an hour ago. And the dad said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And at that moment, Covey said he had a paradigm shift. And he saw this guy on the subway was drowning. Maybe that's where you're at this weekend. Those watching online, those here at church, you feel like you're drowning. That's why this prayer is so very important. The mission of this church is God, help us to hear the cries. Because God can hear more than we hear. God can see more than we see. And the power of his spirit can lead us and direct us to turn up the volume and tune in the signal so we can hear the cry. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Truth about God, truth about life, truth about the needs of those around us. Can we give God praise one more time? He's the one who turns up the volume in our lives. And that, that leads us to, to really the final thing I invite you to think about with me, and that's what I call compassion action. Compassion action. I saw this video on YouTube. A friend of mine sent it to me, and in the video, it took me by surprise because the hero that I expected, well, it was the hero in the video was different than what I expected. Watch the screens and see if you can identify the surprising hero. How you doing, man? Is it okay if you could spare that slice for me, please? Nah, man, I work for the club. Hi, how you doing, man? What's up? Can I please have a slice? I'm very hungry. I'm sorry about that, Ken. Not today. All right, sorry for asking. Enjoy your slice, man. What's going on, buddy? 
I don't. We ate a lot of, you know, slices. You want the rest? Alright, here you go, man. Alright, take care, buddy. Hello, how you doing? I'm really hungry. It's hard out there, man. You have an extra slice in there? Yeah, you sure? You wouldn't mind? Appreciate it, man. It's so hard out there. Yeah. yeah. I know how you feel, man. Well, I'm gonna get going. Thank you once again. I appreciate it so much. I wanna being so generous to me. I wanna give you a nice little tip, man. Thank you. God bless you. All right. What a powerful video. I, it, it rocked me when I watched it. And I didn't expect the homeless guy to be the hero. But to me, he was. He received and then he gave. A surprising hero in the story. Jesus once told a story and gave people a surprising hero. It's probably the most well-known story in American culture that Jesus told. We know it as the Good Samaritan. But when he first told it, it surprised everyone. Because back then there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. There was a big racial divide between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. It was a racial divide it was a religious divide, tremendous hostility between the two groups. And Jesus, who was Jewish, tells this story to Jewish people, and all of his listeners are expecting the Jewish people in the story to be the hero. But Jesus was always breaking down barriers and building bridges. And he ends up turning their expectations on their head. Instead of demonizing the Samaritan, he makes him the hero of the story. And you know how the story goes. A man is beat up, lying in a ditch. He gets mugged. And these two religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, come walking by. You would expect them to be the heroes in the story. They don't do anything bad to the man. They just don't do anything. And they keep walking. And then the Samaritan shows up. Jesus turns expectations upside down. And the Samaritan stops and helps out the man in the ditch. And the turning point of that story, I believe, happens right here in Luke 10, that when the Samaritan saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Would you read that last part of the verse with me? He felt compassion for him. Compassion is a, it's a powerful word. Back in that day, it meant that you felt it in here. 
He was moved in here at the sight of the man. Before it moved him out here, it moved him out here. And I was thinking, how? How can we develop, open our lives up to more compassion? And if we will use our God-given imagination to sit where other people sit, it's one of the ways God will deepen compassion in our lives. I turned 60 not too long ago, and well, since I turned 60, I've thought about getting older. There was a picture I saw that said, you know you're getting old when your cake has more candles than calories. <laughs> and as you get older, things start to change for you. In fact, there's a, a teacher over in Germany she teaches at a med school over there. And so what she does is she has her 20-something students put on what they call an age suit. And this age suit has this yellow visor that it blurs your vision a bit. And it has these ear resistors where you can't hear quite as well. And it has knee pads and elbow pads that make your joints a little harder to move. And... When she has the student put it on, this is what she tells them, welcome to old age. And here is the goal that she has in that exercise. She puts it this way, if we can bring up that quote, if we can bring out that quote, I'm not sure if that's stuck, here we go. My aim is to turn young, energetic people into slow, creaking beings, temporarily at least. That way they will... I hope, develop a feeling for what it's like to be old. What does she want to give those students a chance to sit where other people sit, to deepen their compassion? And one of the best ways to deepen your compassion is to use your God-given imagination for a few moments to sit where other people sit. What if that was my granddaughter? My granddaughter who didn't have anything to open at Christmas. What if that was my brother? My brother who was fighting cancer. Now, what if it was my son? What if it was my son that was battling an addiction? What if it was me? What if I just lost my spouse after we'd been married for 36 years. My dad used to say when we started reaching out ministry, he would say, don't give out food that you wouldn't give to your own mom. He wanted to make sure that we were treating people with what we gave them and how we gave it with dignity and respect. The capacity to sit where other people sit. The, the prophet Ezekiel once went to the people who were in captivity. The people who had lost hope and were broken and devastated. And the Bible says when he went to them, he sat where they sat. 
and remained there for seven days. There's something about having the capacity to sit where other people sit that deepens your compassion. God uses it. It moves you in here. And then it moves you out here. And Cathedral of Faith, family at Cathedral, you already do amazing things. You are doing a great work and God continues to answer that prayer. In fact, look at somebody and tell them, you're doing a great work. Go ahead and do that. You're doing a great work already. You're living out that prayer as well as the words of Jesus. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Do it with me this holiday season. I've said, Jesus, start with me. What can I do? Compassion always takes action. What can I do? I moved in here, but then I move out here. What can I do this holiday season? Because there's something that we can do. It may be getting involved with the toy giveaway. It may be getting involved with our celebration of love, our big food giveaway over the holidays. Or it may be with joining Team Cathedral at the Turkey Trot. I'm so proud of the Cathedral family. Last year, we, it was the first time we as a church family focused on getting together for the turkey trot here in our city on Thanksgiving morning. And we had over 300 people that came out and ran the turkey trot. Let's give God praise. Way to go, Cathedral. Yeah. It was awesome. I'm out there with my grandkids and my daughter, and it was a great time. And we're going to mobilize one more time as the church for the turkey trot. And we're so excited. I, I, in fact, I had a goal of hitting 300. And I said, well, you know, if we hit 300 as a church again this year, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let our church family vote. I'm going to run this year with my hair colored. And I'm going to let our church family vote. If we hit 300, on what color that is. That it can either be cathedral blue Raider silver and black, or 49 or red and gold. You get to choose. You get to choose. We hit 300. But Pastor Rick said, my vision is too small. We need to go for more than that, because we hit almost 350 last year. So I said, okay, if we go 400, I'll wear that color all weekend long, all weekend And when people ask me, why did you color your hair? I'll tell them, we have an amazing church who mobilized and ran the turkey trot. And then Pastor Rick said, that's still too small. We need to shoot for 500. And I said, 500 people. He said, yeah, 500 people. I said, let's do it. If we get 500 people, I'm not just going to run the 5K. I'm going to run the 10K that day. And I've got to tell you. Can we just be real here? I hate to run. I really do. When it comes to running, my philosophy is this. No pain, no pain. That's, I like it right there. I may not be able to run the 10K. I may have to walk it. I may have to crawl it. 
But if we get 500, I'm going to do it because I hate to run, but I love our city. And the turkey trot is about loving our city and our community. It really is about hearing the cries. In fact, we have the founder of the turkey trot, him and his wife, Leslie, were the co-founders of the Silicon Valley Turkey Trot. They're a part of our church family. And it's such a privilege to partner with him again. I am so grateful. Carl is one of the busiest guys that I know. He really is. But he's made time to come and be with us because I wanted you to hear from his heart on what the Turkey Trot is really all about. So would you give a welcome to... well? Part of the Cathedral family, Silicon Valley Leadership Group Director, CEO, Carl Gardino. Carl. I love you, buddy. What humbles Leslie and I most about being members of Cathedral of Faith is that we are not only the recipients of inspiring messages, but we have a chance to be engaged community members through those messages. Thank you, Pastor. Carl, love you, buddy. Oh. Impact. We all want to make a positive impact on our community inside and outside the walls of Cathedral of Faith. And that is what we try to do at my day job as well at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, where we try to live by three principles. And so this is the congregation participation portion of our time together. If you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand for just a moment. Here are our three principles. First, we set ambitious, audacious, stretch goals. So we're all going to stretch up for those ambitious goals. We're going to go up on our toes. We're going to reach with our fingers because we're setting ambitious goals. Really well done. Now, second one, you need to be careful because I don't want you to put the eyes out of the people next to you. <laughs> and Cathedral of Faith does not need a workers' comp claim against it. So really carefully, we also reach out to build bridges rather than burn bridges down. We reach out. And then finally, we remember that we need to bend down to lift others up, just as we have been lifted up by our Lord. Now, I used to be able to touch my toes, but I, toes, but I recently had my legs, legs lengthened, and I can't do that. <laughs> But we reach down and we grab up other people and families in our communities and we slowly, without throwing out my 58-year-old back, we slowly bring them up with us. Those are our principles. Those are the principles of Cathedral of Faith. Please sit down. You just burned off four calories. You're welcome. Go back with me. Thanksgiving morning, 2004, my wife Leslie and I flip on the radio, and the journalist is talking about, quote, 20,000 people downtown running and walking to help feed the hungry. But here's the kicker. That journalist was not talking about wealthy Silicon Valley in San Jose. He was talking about the much smaller community of Sacramento in their annual run to feed the hungry. And my wife and I looked at each other at that moment and said, someone ought to do that here. 
And we had that epiphany moment that maybe somebody was us. Full confession. We, up to that point, we had been what I call talkers and takers. We were marathon runners and Ironman triathletes, and we would show up at races expecting everyone to cater to us. And we had to switch from being talkers and takers to what Cathedral of Faith is all about, people who are doers and donors. And so we decided right then that we would become race directors of Silicon Valley Turkey Trot. We had 365 days, so it seemed easy. Applied Materials captured that vision, entrusted us with $100,000, with the only agreement that we had to be able to donate at least $101,000 back to needy families in our region. And 365 days out, that seemed fine with us. But then 10 days before race day came, 2005, Here's the good news. We had 300 people signed up as volunteers to help our athletes. Here's the not so good news. We had 100 athletes signed up. We had three volunteers for every athlete. That is customer service. Nine days later, the Lord does what the Lord does. He opened the floodgates and race morning, not 100, 1,900 people participated. Year one, 132,000 to great nonprofits serving needy families throughout our region. But this is where it gets exciting when the Lord blesses something. 14 years later, the first 14 years, we've been able to contribute back $8.9 million. And and the last six years in a row, we have been the largest time Thanksgiving Day run in the world. I like to say in the galaxy. I like to say in the galaxy. But we weren't setting out to be the biggest. We wanted to be the most compassionate, as Pastor Ken talked about this morning. And impact, as I started, was and is our mission. If we can put up on the screen the impact of this year's goal that we call Mission One Million. This year alone, if we can raise $1 million, here's the impact we can have. Second harvest of Santa Clara and San Mateo counties, that's 520,000 more nutritious meals. Through our housing trust, Silicon Valley, 300 of our neighbors who will be out on the streets and living in our creeks tonight, homeless, will have permanent, sustainable, supportive housing. Our health trust, 3,000 people living with chronic medical conditions today served our Healthier Kids Foundation, 3,100 poor kids in East San Jose will have dental, vision, and hearing awesome. checks. And the Agricultural Community of Santa Cruz County, 440,000 more nutritious meals. 
Our pastor's message this morning about Matthew 25, 34 through 40 is the turkey trot. Remember what it said. I was hungry and you fed me. Second Harvest Food Bank. I was homeless and you gave me a room. Housing Trust, Silicon Valley. I was sick and you looked after me. The Health Trust and the Healthier Kids Foundation. Cathedral of Faith, together we can make a huge difference within our walls of our church and even more exciting, outside of the walls of this church. Thank you for letting that's me awesome, share. That's awesome, Carl. Man, that's great. Oh, what a great vision. What a great heart. I, I want you to stand with me, please. I'm going to ask Carl and, and Pastor Rick to come on out. Didn't Pastor Rick do a great job with that song? That was, that was great, Rick. You know, Pastor Rick, that first turkey trot, the very first one, he had a group of young adults from our church that went over and, and ran it. And in just a moment, we'll dismiss everybody, but close your eyes uh, for a moment. I, I want to take a minute out and say, if, if you identified with what I was talking about earlier, you'd say, Pastor Ken, I'm, I'm here in this crowd of people. But life is really tough right now for me. I feel like I'm drowning. And I want to pray with you and for you before we dismiss everybody. Would you lift up your hand and say, Pastor Ken, that's me. I just, truth be told, just being real, just being real. Man, I wish I could go out and give everybody just a hug and a personal prayer. I just want you to know you're not alone. God's with you. God's for you. If, if you're okay with this, just keep your hands lifted up, and I'm going to ask the rest of the cathedral family, if someone's close to you and their hand is lifted up, if you just maybe place your hand gently on their arm or on their shoulder, just extend your hand out toward them, because we're part of a family here today. Father, I thank you today for your love and your grace and your mercy. Jesus, you're able to meet us at our point of need. Need, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, today, in the midst of, of this church family, those who are watching online, I pray that you would lift them up, love them up by the power of your spirit, reach down to where they're at, bring them out of the water, and set them back on their feet again. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, all God's people said, Amen. Let's give God praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.